0: to tea tuesdays it is your girl v and i have a special guest with me today the one and only there's only one the one and only dr (laughs) faith Foreman hayes how are you doing tonight
1: i am doing wonderfully yes i'm doing great
0: Great. and what about you uh not too bad you know going through a couple of things that i was doing let me get this i get my little thing set up over here so i won't look like i'm leaning okay I'm doing all right. Pretty good. Pretty good for a Tuesday. For a Tuesday. Yes, definitely. Now, I do want to give everyone a little heads up because you may hear some language that you're not used to, but I do want to let you know that Dr. Faith Foreman Hayes is my soror. Okay. I just want to let you know that. So of course, yes, she's a <laughs> member of the illustrious Sigma Gamma Rose Sorority Incorporated. I mean, we're not trying to go in all that, but yes. <laughs> right. We got to throw that plug out there real quick, real quick. So of course, it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And I would like for you to share with the people your story of, it, it depends on where you want to start. If you want to start at the beginning or if you want to start in the middle, but it's up to you. But share your story with us of how how is it going? And how long has it been? I'll start there.
1: Well, it's going great. I am blessed and doing extremely well. Um, I am now working towards five years in February of Survivor and not only just surviving, but thriving, honey. I call myself a thriver. Uh, And so it is going quite well. Um, and I'm just blessed. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Every day is a new opportunity and I don't take it for granted. Um, yes. I know it could have been very different. And for some of my family, some mm-hmm. of my friends, it was different. And so it's just a blessing to be able to even share a story and have a story to tell. So uh, I appreciate you for wanting to and using your platform to hear and share the stories of women and, and, and those who are. Um, surviving and thriving and you know still in the
0: fight. Definitely, definitely. Five so it's about to be five years. Now we're gonna tell you later why the number five is so important. Okay. Mm-hmm. We'll just just remember that. Why is the number five so important? Because people hear me say, Oh, I can't wait to five. So just remember five. We'll talk about that later. So, what year were you diagnosed and did you discover? Your your own uh mass, or how did that start?
1: Okay, wonderful question. So I was diagnosed in the summer of uh 2017. I actually say that I got breast cancer for my birthday because my birthday is in July and I always ce- celebrate the entire month. I usually go out of the country, and so on July 13th is the actual mm-hmm day seven days um, seven to eight days before my birthday is when I actually got the diagnosis I had gone in for a routine uh my well woman exam earlier probably in that maybe May uh that year May or June Mm -hmm. and of course my doctor said well feel something there um but you know i had had a history of in the past having cyst and having you know biopsies and nothing had ever come up as being anything malignant everything was a benign cyst throughout my you know adult you know middle young adult life so okay. um but my my uh um, general practitioner being my doctor for probably almost 25 years she recently retired so we kind of grew up together uh african american okay. female she said let's go and um Um, you need to have your mammogram as usual. So I think I was just going to get that well-woman exam, get the mammogram. And then on the mammogram, that's when they said, okay, there's something there. Um, We need to look at that a little bit more. And then things kind of uh, progressed from there, from getting a mammogram to actually getting a biopsy and um, just waiting on the results. Meanwhile, I'm living life moving on because that's just who I am. I was on a plane headed to go to um, Hood, actually one of my doctoral candidates, who is a soror, actually. uh, And I was going to um, uh, participate in her graduation. And I was on the plane with my phone still on, waiting for them to close the, um, you know, the jetway. um, And the phone rang and it had um, Kelsey Sebo as it came up on the caller ID and me being a healthcare practitioner, I knew that's what that meant. So when I saw that come up and it was the breast um, uh, doctor, the breast breast specialist, mm-hmm. she said, have a minute. And so I was sitting on the plane oh, by, my the, uh, by myself, just, you know, with other people on the plane. And I said, sure, I do. And I, you know, once she, she, she says that I've been, you know, in healthcare, I started my career as a nurse. Uh, I knew enough to know that it probably was not good news. And she told me, Well, I have to tell you that, you know, it is cancerous. And so that's kind of how it started. I got off the plane at my destination, uh-huh. I went to the hotel. And my now husband, but then fiance was coming up later. I had to be there earlier, but we were making a little trip out of it. And so I told him once we got to the room and, uh, but I still participated in graduation. I still did everything that I needed to do and then came back to Houston and followed up with my
0: doctor as soon as I got back in town. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't even, I, I don't even, I can't even understand how you were able to even function after receiving the news, just just not minutes ago, I, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't be able to function. I mean, oh my goodness! That, yeah. But you know, the power of women is something that I don't think a lot of people understand. That we receive news and you don't even realize that there's something going on with us, and we just keep on going on throughout the day.
1: Yeah, that's just kind of how we're built. And, uh, you know, I, I just think for me, I I do that silent prayer and say, hey, I believe that whatever you do, if you show up, God is already there. And I just mm-hmm. said, hey, give me the strength, God, to do what I need to do. And there's no option. What, what would collapsing, what would you know, that have done for me would not have allowed me to get through that and do that for my student. And then just for myself, I needed to be able to to do that. So I immediately hit the ground when I got back in town. And my first, you know, my first approach is always to get more information. That's a scientist right. in me. I'm, a, you know, I work in public health, so I've got to find out more. So that was really my goal was to get back, I I know what the breast doctor told me, but I needed to get more information. And so until Mm -hmm. I get more information, I'm not going to invest a lot of, um, I think, emotion in it because I need to know the information. So I think that's what helps me. And that's kind of probably a coping strategy that I have. It's just let's find out more and then we, you know, we can act upon it,
0: act upon it. Now, you mentioned that uh, you work in public health. And of course, you are a doctor. Can you share a little bit about your professional career? Oh, absolutely. I started
1: my career um, as an LVN, and I'm very proud of that. Uh, and I have maintained my LVN license for over 30 years. I became an LVN at the age of 19, wow. and I just knew. Yes, my my family was a family of healthcare providers, nurses. My aunt is okay. a registered nurse. My cousin, so we have uh, quite a few healthcare practitioners in our family and my grandmother who we just celebrated over the weekend was a healthcare provider and you know a funeral director she owned a funeral home and so we just wow. I had just been around you know people who were caregivers and kind mm-hmm. of servant in a way um, I went on to get a doctorate in public health but I got a bachelor's degree in sociology from Texas Southern University so I'm an HBCU grad and then I went on and got a masters and a doctorate in public health from the University of Texas so it was just important for me to give back to the community and to really, I think, more importantly, for people to be able to have health services. I thought it was really um, not um, humane, actually inhumane for a person not to have health, a healthy life just as a basic right. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what led me into public health versus going into private industry, like working for, you know, a a big corporation, but working in public service because there were so many health disparities and there are many health disparities in breast cancer, specifically among, you know, women of color. And so I just have had a a wonderful career in public health and um, it really has led me to be able to make uh, an impact in a lot of communities and really
0: globally. I've done great work globally and I'm very proud of that. Okay. That is wonderful. That is wonderful. Because you you mentioned a little bit that that's the science in you. Mm -hmm. You needed to find out more information of what's going on. Um, Instead of just becoming overwhelmed, like some people, I'm going to raise my hand because that's me. (laughs) (laughs) But you you said, I need to figure out what is going on. Let me get more information. Um, One of the health disparities, what do you feel um, being in that field and then also experiencing breast cancer be, and being on that journey, what do you feel is a health disparity that maybe you experienced or you've seen someone else or heard of someone that um, experienced one?
1: Well, I will tell you the one of the, the major one, and it wasn't so much that I experienced it, but throughout my career and as I have gone to um, get numerous mammograms every year. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I had biopsies, ultrasounds, and that was a, the access to mammography, access mm-hmm. to a more significant test, you know, prior to affordable care, you would have to pay an additional $50 copay to get a 3d mammography. And many African-American women have dense breast. And so, uh, if you're not getting a 3d now, I think they even have 4d, 5d mammography, um, you are probably often going to miss a lump maybe on a mammogram. So there are other things that I think access to mammography screening and early diagnosis is probably the most uh, significant disparity. I think that women of color and women who um, don't have a lot of resources um, Mm -hmm. face, I think, as the greatest disparity. I think the other disparity is oftentimes women of color, our uh, chief complaints, our questioning is not taken seriously. So we oftentimes are told, oh, it's it's nothing or um, it doesn't appear to be anything, but the woman may be still experiencing pain or even have just that, what I call it, your, that people say "My my first mind or my gut told me. Um, to follow up on something. But if you don't have access and you don't have a healthcare practitioner that looks like you, or that's going to take you seriously, then that's going to also create a barrier for you. You may not be diagnosed until a much later time. And that earlier diagnosis is often your key to a cure. And so I say, I would say uh, access and the fact that um, the health concerns of women of color have to be taken, uh, taken seriously
0: hmm. Definitely. Definitely. There was a segment this morning. I don't know if you watched Good Morning America. I did. But, OK. <laughs> I did. And, and they've been doing a variety of uh, segments. But this morning they were talking about um, being able to like one one lady. She's she met a young lady that had issues with transportation, just trying to get to the treatment place and then coming back. Um, And she became a volunteer with uh, American Cancer Society just to be able to transport the patient uh, or the client from one place to another to get to where they needed to be. And to me, you just you really don't think about that until you're in that position and you notice like, okay, this is what's going on. Um, Because in the rural areas, they don't have hardly what the big cities have. Um, So that does definitely make it. And thank you for taking the time to explain that, Uh, because I don't really think people think about the health disparities. And sometimes they feel like, oh, no, everybody has access. Um, (laughs) And that's that's not necessarily the case. And then sometimes even if you have access, you may not feel comfortable like you explain talking to your talking to your doctor about what's going on, or even if the doctor's even listening to
1: you right you absolutely i think it's yeah we're sometimes we're taught i think i would tell people and i i've health, health, been a health educator for a living for years and i would tell people that time to kind of uh you know, kind of dumbed down or become very uh, shy is not in your doctor's office. I used to go to right. the my doctor with a list of things written down. So write them down, put it on the note section in your phone. If you have questions, that's the time to ask the doctor. If you don't mm-hmm. ask, they won't stay in the room very long because they're trying to get to the next patient. And so you have to be empowered. Um, that's your one shot and that's your opportunity to ask those questions Don't second guess yourself. Don't think you're being overly dramatic um, because many women have heart attacks and other things that happen to them because they, you know, they didn't feel quite right. But they didn't want to be a bother and they didn't want someone to think that they were, um, you know, being uh, having a panic attack, which is oftentimes how women are, you know, treated that you're having something that psychosomatic anxiety. uh, And that may be true but we won't know if we don't check it out. So I right. say be your, you know, your own best advocate and um, you're definitely correct. Uh, American Cancer Society um, organizations such as that, Sisters Network, Inc., uh, Susan G. Coleman, there are some great programs that they have that are available. I can tell you that when I was first diagnosed and I'm grateful and I, I, I thank God that I didn't have to use any of the services that Um, American Cancer Society offered me. I will say that they did offer me as soon as you are entered into the cancer registry, Mm -hmm. you are um, given um, really good access to, um, you know, uh, things that you wouldn't even think of, such as transportation. American Cancer Society as a resource actually reached out to me by phone and they asked me if I needed someone to come and clean my home. Um, did I need, um, um, yes, this is something. And this was in 2017, but someone called me and the person that contacted me was so insistent. She was like, are you sure we can have someone come in and clean a couple of days? You know, there are different services. And I said, you know, you can send me the information, but I'm blessed. And I thank you so much. I do not need those types of services, but, you know, please, you know, pass those on to people who actually do. So there are resources, but I think, you know, what, as we said before, if you don't know, knowledge is a great, you know, our lack of knowledge is a great barrier. And if you don't know who to call upon, that's why it's good to have forums such as this. It may never happen. And I pray that it never happens to any of the the, the um, viewers. But if it does, or someone you love, you will know to be able to refer them to the Sisters Network, Inc., where you can go um, you know, it's the only African-American or the largest African-American um, servicing breast cancer organization or Amer- American Cancer Society who has just a, a wealth of resources. And Cohen, uh, Susan G. Coleman, where you will also be able to get certain things uh, like rides to, um, you know, getting uh, your treatment and then also uh, assistance in getting uh, to pay for a mammogram, which costs about two hundred dollars. So. Right, um, lots of resources out there, uh, and a lot of ways to be a help. You know, be of assistance, to be of service, to volunteer. Um, if you know, if you're blessed not to have to be one of the one of eight women who
0: will get breast cancer, right, in her lifetime, and it's, and, and it's always good to to give back, to reach back because you know then people ask me all the time, how did you, what made you come up with Share the Tea, and I just learned so much information. And when you learn so much information that you didn't know before, you're like, well, somebody else probably didn't even know this. So it needs to be shared with people because if you don't know, you wouldn't know. And just like when you mentioned Sisters Network, um, I didn't know anything about Sister to Sister Network until... Sigma Gamma Rho had partnered with them, so I didn't really know about um, about that organization until it was brought to me. And I was like, "Oh, okay," because that's a good resource for you to be able to connect with someone else and, and share that information. Because um, I've also learned that there are some organizations out there that are able to provide you a um, like finances, like they can help mm-hmm. you. In- you. It may only be like $200 or something, or it may be like a gas card to help you with transportation. But, you know, those are things that is not really easily accessible to the public. You know, you don't hear this on the news. <laughs> you don't normally see it in a newspaper. right? right. right. So you won't.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Those things are so important.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I
1: think that uh, um, having the, that access uh, and helping to educate women and families, because when you when when you're diagnosed with breast cancer, your whole family is diagnosed with breast cancer in a way because you will need that support. You know, depending on your treatment process, you are and I'm a very self-sufficient person. But I will tell you, I went to a lot of my treatments alone, but that was just by choice. I also had about I would say uh, someone went with me, maybe. um, seven or eight of the times. And then the other eight times I wanted to go alone because that was a three hour time that I could be by myself. And once I got the hang of it, you know, just be there, but, you know, uh, and I could drive myself. Um, but everybody's treatment story or treatment journey is not the same. And so, uh, someone may need that person to pick them up, to take them there. They may be severely nauseous during wow. the treatment. So, uh, there are a variety of journey uh, stories and types, so I think being able to access those important resources, um, um, you know, it, it it's a major major barrier, and it's a major thing for anybody going through any type of cancer, but you know, particularly breast cancer.
0: Right. Definitely. Definitely. So, what stage um, was your breast cancer?
1: Wonderful question. So my uh, uh cancer was diagnosed at a stage 2A. And I had what we would call, I call it basic breast cancer because 70 to 80% of women have the type of breast cancer that I had. So if huh. be- breast cancer could be on a continuum, I said, okay, I had, I don't like to be basic, but I had not, you know, I had the most basic and the most, I would say common, and that is invasive ductal uh, carcinoma. So you might see it as IDC. Um, there is, there are different types of uh, breast cancer, um, mm-hmm. but my breast cancer was one that was in the duct, but it also, uh, the invasive part m- means that it had gone outside of the duct into the breast tissue around it, not outside of uh-huh. the breast, but in- inside of the breast, but outside of the duct. So, oh, okay. uh, and that is pretty much the type of cancer. 70 to 80% of women will get the invasive ductal carcinoma. Hmm. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. so and we- there are other types uh, of, of of breast cancer, particularly, I think it's important to note that African-American women um, have a higher prevalence of breast cancer uh, types such as triple negative and inflammatory breast cancer. I did not have that. I did not have triple negative. I did not have inflammatory, but I did have the most, I would say, common type if that if that's helpful to anyone.
0: Okay, that is helpful. And what, when they say triple negative, what exactly does that mean for? Well,
1: there are, okay, so without getting too scientific, because I'm not an oncologist or a breast uh, geneticist, but I will tell you that I had the type of uh, breast cancer having the IDC. It was invasive ductal carcinoma that was estrogen positive, progesterone negative. So when you hear okay. triple negative, that means that, for example, if we had to think about what may have caused, we can't say for sure, but what mm. may have caused or increased my risk for um, breast cancer was estrogen because estrogen, it was fed by estrogen.
0: Okay. Got
1: it? So that's why it would be estrogen positive, but progesterone negative. It could have been progesterone positive. That would have been a different... Uh, diagnosis different types. so if something is triple negative that means all of those markers or are, are the markers for that would be negative so um mm-hmm. I think it you know if your viewers want to know more that's definitely gets deeper into the science and the oncology of mm-hmm. uh, breast mm-hmm. cancer but um those are uh, marked differences and different diagnosis and there's uh I think what's interesting to share is that you don't know as much as you could possibly know about breast cancer until you maybe you're diagnosed with it. Right. Uh, I know you can remember your, you know, you know, uh, journey as well. Um, but you learn your stage, your type, you know, if it's fast, rapid growing, if it's not, it, they, they have different scores. The tumor have yes. different scores. So you learn probably more than you want to know about your type of breast cancer. So it would be difficult to compare it to someone else's. But but, um, uh, I think there are lots of resources. And I got a lot of my information, not just from my care providing team, but American Cancer Society. That was one of the first places that I looked. Um, to look at the different types, to look at my type, to read about the treat treatment possibilities, just okay. different things based on how I was staged. And that was very helpful to me. That gave me a great sense of comfort just because mm-hmm. that's my kind of style. you know, read about it, try to be
0: anticipatory um, and also know what questions to ask. Definitely. and and they mm-hmm. do have a lot of information on their mm-hmm. website. Um, if you take time to, to research, you, you do have to receive a lot of information through there. So that way you get a better understanding of what's going on. And I really feel that it helps you to prepare what questions to ask your doctor, because um, when, when you're going into your follow ups or just going to meet your oncologist, it's kind of like, OK, what's going on? How did My question was, how did I get this? How long I've had it? you know, you have all these questions and right. they're trying to tell you your treatment plan and what we're going to do to help you. Um, so that it, it is, it can be overwhelming, but yeah. you do learn a lot of information. Um, yeah, it was very helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was very helpful to me. Yeah, it was. It is definitely, definitely very helpful. So um, there was, there was a question and it, it didn't, it went straight, straight by me, just like that. Okay. It may come back <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna forget um so almost five years let's 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 talk a little bit about that. Can you tell them what's so significant about the number five?
1: Well um for most and for many I won't say most many cancers, the year five really sig- signifies uh, a um, you know kind of a milestone in your cancer journey. I know for breast cancer, oftentimes they will tell you that at year five, because most of us are taking some type of after uh, cancer treatment drug of ShoRS, mm-hmm. something that is in my case, I take a hormone um, uh, inhibitor that, uh, you know, you may have heard of tamoxifen. I don't take that. But if I was a, a younger woman, I probably would have taken tamoxifen. Um, so what you take is based on you know where you are in your breast cancer kind of journey and age and other things. But for me, it marks the time where um, uh, I have been cancer free for five years um, with hope, with the hope that the likelihood of it returning um, would be um, less likely. Also, for me, probably the most significant thing is that the medication that I currently take, the hope is I will not have to take it anymore after five years.
0: And oh so that,
1: that's what it means for me. Um, I will tell you that I just recently, um, where I get my cancer care, they have come up with a, uh, a a way to diagnose and a way to find cancers through a study um, that will also tell me whether or not I will need to take the medicine for five, because some people, some of us have to take it for 10 years. So I'm looking forward to uh, finding out whether I have to take the medication for an additional five years, or if I can truly stop taking um, the after what I call my after cancer um, pill uh, in, you know, in February. So for different um, types of cancers, it's different markers, but usually it means that you have been on for breast cancer. You may have been on a medication that you've been taking. And after that five years, Mm -hmm. you may not have to take that medication anymore. Um, I want to add this, though, too, because I think this is so important in many of the women that have, once they've been diagnosed with breast cancer and they know that I'm a survivor or someone has asked them to, you know, reach out to me or, you know, I've said, hey, call me. Mm -hmm. The most important thing that I can tell a woman who um, enters into this journey is be prepared that sometimes when you go to see your oncologist or your doctor, things are going to change. So. Sometimes we can hear something and when we get to the doctor's office, it changes and we get super upset. I learned very early from my doctor and other women by being in a support group at my cancer care center, things are going to change. So if, for example, they tell me I have to take the drug for an additional five years, I'll be prepared for that because sometimes things will change. I've known people go in and their diagnosis in terms of their their stage. So that's why a lot of times the doctor won't tell you initially they can't stage it. They need to do a little bit more pathology or whatever to stage something because the stage may change based on the size, the grade, type, all of those things are important. So just know that sometimes when you go into the doctor, especially for women who are on this journey right now, know that sometimes the information that they tell you when you get there It may change. So I've known people go in and they tell them you won't have to have radiation. And then two weeks later, they come back and say, well, we are going to need to do radiation. And some people I know, rightfully so, have been devastated by that. But if that's what they're telling you, you can always get a second opinion. And I would say you don't have to be suspect of it because, you know, things change in how they look at pathology um, right you know how you know how they type and grade some cancers are fast growing cancers some cancers are slow growing cancers based on the typology you know and the genetics and pathology of the of the tumor Mm-hmm. Uh, and and also how if did it affect your lymph nodes? You know, there are a lot of different things. And so I think that's the one thing that my heart aches for women a lot of time when they come to me and they say, well, they said this and now they're telling me that. So I often try to tell when someone calls me and says, hey, the doctor said I need to go back or I've been diagnosed here. And I say, you know, I make myself available to them. But the number one thing I tell them, do not be surprised. Prepare yourself for even one thing that they told you that might be different when you get there, right. you know, so that it doesn't devastate you. Or you don't think that you cannot trust your care team because things do change, mm-hmm. you know, along the, the
0: treatment, you know, journey sometimes. And I, and I appreciate you saying that because that is a great, that is a great tip. Because um, just, just going into the appointment, we tend to start thinking, I don't want to say negative, but at times we start to worry if my scan's going to look right. If, you know, what did my blood lab say? Or, you know, um, we start to think about all these different things. And then before you know it, they're checking your blood pressure. Oh, your blood pressure is extremely high. Well, it's because I'm here. (laughs) But, you know, I think it's really important to to be prepared um, for any adjustments that come. One thing that you said earlier, you said support groups. Mm-hmm. So when you were doing your, your treatment, you joined a support group at your cancer center or was it, um, offsite somewhere?
1: No, it was actually at my cancer center. And I would say, you know, I, I I'm here in Houston is in uh, Houston, Texas. And my, um, Uh, cancer treatment was not done at MD Anderson. Like um, a lot of people will go to MD Anderson because they are in Houston or they come to, you know, world-class MD Anderson. But I also went to a world-class cancer center at Kelsey Siebel and I had a really great cancer team and it's still my team, you know, Um, during that very first treatment. And I always tell people that was the longest day in my life because Mm -hmm. it was, you know, the cancer, um, you know, your chemotherapy is about three to four hours anyway. Um, But on that first one, you have to meet with everybody. You have to meet with the pharmacist. You have to go over all of the cancer drugs that you're going to get in chemotherapy. And you you have to meet with a lot of different people. And one of the people in my cancer center that I met with was the social worker. Um, That person comes and talks to us, um, talks to the family, talks to you. And they let me know about the support group. They don't force you. They don't, you know, they're... um, You know, it's no pressure, but they're just letting you know everything that's available to you. So I was blessed to be in a place where um, they had about, you know, pretty much everything. Everyone came by to my suite to talk to me. And one of the things that they offered to me was a support group that met um, once monthly, and it was survivors and uh, those who were currently in treatment, including their spouse or significant other or their uh, caregiver, you know, whoever they're, they're the person they wanted to bring with them if they wanted to bring someone. So I was blessed to have that um, uh, support and be able really to, you could go and say nothing, or you could go and listen. And um, I also knew a lot of other women, I can say on my, uh, in my uh, organization at the city health department. Um, Unfortunately, there were a lot of women that I was especially close to who were survivors. And so I drew a lot of strength from them. And we happened to go to the same place because we probably had the same insurance. And so uh, they were a great resource for me. But I think support groups are wonderful. They have them online, especially now with COVID. Um, I also participated in something called ALAC, which is Active Living After Cancer, because uh, I was a very athletic person. I'm still very um, athletic. And it was important to me after my cancer treatment to um, remain physically fit and to continue to um, um, focus on fitness and to know what I could do without causing myself to have, um, you know, increased uh, potential of lymphedema and those kinds of things. So I think support is very good. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have it in your community, reach out online and and if you have access to a smartphone, you don't even need a laptop. If you just have access to your smartphone, you can join um, a support group um, from wherever you are, if you have a smartphone.
0: Definitely. And, you know, Dr. Uh, Dr. Mm-hmm. Faye Foreman uh, Hayes, that was that was one of my. I, I don't want to say downfall, but I'm going to say mm-hmm. it was. And because they they did the same, like you mentioned but i didn't i didn't i didn't reach out and take it i just said no i'm okay i'm fine and as i look back i really should have gone through some some counseling or you know some therapy and being in those support groups and i think what it what it did for me was since i'm i work in that capacity i felt like okay i don't need that it's okay i know what to do but yeah I, I do. I regret that even to this day. And my husband even asked me, you, you should have. You should have taken that so that way you can be able to have um, some release
1: because yes. It, it, yes. it is
0: a lot for you to go through um, as as a woman. Um, and then it's a lot for your husband or spouse or whomever partner to go through as their caretaker and they're watching you go through these changes. Um, Very true. And
1: it's not too late. So I encourage you. This is the, the good, the greatness of and, you know, this as a as a care provider, the greatness of being able to you can go and be in support anytime we actually still have our support group it's ongoing because people, unfortunately, are still being diagnosed and they're still on the treatment process. Right. And, you know, the thing about cancer, you know, you are never done with cancer. You're done with cancer in terms of your time frames and your mile markers, you know, your milestones. Mm-hmm. But I always talk with my oncologist and say, you are the one dude I want to break up with. And he said, unfortunately, <laughs> the, 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 the best I can offer you is one time seeing you once a year. Which is what I'm working on. I'm almost there. After I make my five year, I won't have to see him. But annually, right? Um, but I think that the one thing that is still important is that support group is still available, uh, mm-hmm. and the support is still there. And it's those of us that are very strong and always there for others that look back. And I didn't go to the support group every month, Vernilia. I didn't go. Um, I went. Uh, occasionally I went sometimes to support other people, but I knew that it was there. I knew that if I had a question, uh, I may not have said a lot all the time, but I was, um, you know, listening. Uh, it -hmm. was very important because there are so many things that, uh, I don't think people are aware of your journey is almost a lifetime journey because cancer changes you. It changes you physically. And it's not so much the much the cancer that changes you; it's the treatment of cancer mm-hmm. that changes you. Uh, I was feeling great. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, to you know, not to make light of it, but I was running and doing all kinds of things. I will say that I was struggling a little bit to run, so whatever that means, um, I was getting tired more. But I was feeling pretty good. I wouldn't have known it was there without the mammography. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that. Um, you know, having had cancer treatment, there are a lot of side effects. There are a lot of things that you still have to deal with over time. And yeah. I've not met one person that does not have some residual um, physical and uh, for some mental um, effects of cancer treatment. I still mm-hmm. deal with things five years later that were uh, as a result of my cancer treatment. I have really bad neuropathy, Uh, and most of the time people get neuropathy from being a diabetic, but I got severe neuropathy from the Paxil-Taxil, the the, um, last, um, I had 16 uh, chemo treatments, and I got severe um, neuropathy in my hands and my feet um, for over the last, those last 12 treatments, so much so that my doctor at the end, I was barely, you know, it was hard for me to walk in terms of, um, because my toes my, were numb uh, mm-hmm. and tingling. Um, and he said, you know, well, I can put you, you can have disability. And I said, you know, <laughs> I hate to say it like this, but I'm like, do you know how much money I make? Do you know right. what I do? Disability will be a way bad thing. Plus, I don't want to be on disability. Right. So right. he said that it would go away, that it was a common side effects specifically among people of color from that drug. And I'm happy to Mm -hmm. say that I pretty much have probably it's about 95% gone in my hands and about 80 plus percent gone in my feet. It's worse when I wake up in the morning. So I have to, I can't jump up out of bed like I used to. I have to kind of let my feet just kind of wake up and I don't run as well. So that's why I'm an avid walker now, because I'm, off balance when I run. So, but I was a lifetime runner. So it's just things that you still deal with after cancer that, you know, people don't have any idea that you may be dealing with because the strong we project and we, we muscle through, but Mm -hmm. cancer treatment is something that you may have to deal with the side effects of for a lifetime. So I would say, um, It's never too late to get into a support group or into some type of support, and just even just go and listen. Um, I guarantee you, somebody's experiencing the same thing as you. If you had chemotherapy, I know for me, my short-term memory is not that good anymore. Sometimes I struggle with words that I used to know. Uh, It's getting you know a little bit better, but sometimes I'm looking for a word and I know I know the word, but. I have to substitute another word in there. That's a synonym because I can't get the word. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's a lifetime, you know, kind of thing. That is true, and I, I
0: appreciate you saying that too, because um, chemo brain is horrible. Yes, it is. It, it's a hundred percent horrible. I really, I really feel like um, it's almost like you're trying to say something. And it's there, but it's not coming out your mouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were so many times my husband and my sister they would finish sentences for me because I couldn't get the rest of it out. And and after a while, you just kind of like, okay, let me just stop. Let me just slow down, mm-hmm. um, and just kind of regroup. But those those after effects of of treatments, it. It takes a toll. And I don't think people really understand that. Someone did mention in one of my other uh, podcast segments that it would be good to just have a segment on the afterlife or not afterlife, but the the after treatments of cancer, what all takes place. And because some people are like, oh, you beat it. Yeah, that's true. But I'm still dealing with these other issues that you may not be aware of. Um, And
1: that's the great that's the beauty of a support group. Um, Because when you go to any type of support group or online, they will know what you're talking about. They will Mm -hmm. be able to say, you know, this happened to me and some of them will be able to give you some great tips on, well, this is what I did. This is, you know, this is um, how um, uh, I was able able to handle that. And so, you know, that's a beneficial thing. And I've even thought myself, you know, I I say a couple of times a year, you know, I never went to any type of therapy for my, you know, being diagnosed with cancer and having to kind of deal with the impact of that. I dealt with a lot of it, you know, on my own, having the support group, but you know how people go into therapy and I'm thinking, you know, sometimes you may need to have some conversations about what just happened to me, you know, f- you know, over these last five years, because it is a journey. And I just kept going. I worked the entire time. I did take FMLA during my um, surgeries, you know, when I physically, uh, but for chemotherapy, I scheduled all my chemotherapies. I mean, I was like, a, I was working cancer th- Treatment like a job, right? right. <laughs> I'm like this, I is think how the schedule went- is going to roll. We're gonna take <laughs> chemotherapy on Friday, and then we'll be off the weekend so that we can recover. Little mm-hmm. did I know that it doesn't really bother you when you first get the therapy. It's around day five when you hit the wall and right. you feel like you know all the life is gonna is out of you. Mm-hmm. So um, it's all of those things. It's almost like post-traumatic stress disorder, where I feel like I didn't really think about it while I was going through it, because I think if I had thought too much about it, I may not have been able to do it. But post that, when I look back on it and I look back at some of the pictures that I've been sharing a little bit on my Facebook, when I look back at some of the pictures, I remember how I felt that day, right? Right. I remember what was going on in that world that day. I started chemotherapy like August 4th, I, I went and got the port. And then August 6th, I um, started my treatment like two days later and Harvey hit here in Houston. So it was flooded and I could not get out of um, my home. And I was so worried because um, I knew I had to get my chemotherapy and I'm very regimented. And I'm like, I need to stay on time because I need to finish by December. I mean, I had big plans. right? And so it was really stressing me out. But luckily I was able to get my treatment. But there was five days of Flooding in Houston. It was mm-hmm. the most horrific flood. You know, it was, you know, nationwide. Uh, uh, I think most people know about the flood, you know, the Harvey flood. Uh, but I was going yeah. through cancer treatment during the Harvey flood. So um, amazingly enough, I still made it. But right. sometimes no. I feel like I do need to talk to somebody about the whole the whole journey.
0: The whole journey. Yes. Yeah. Did you ever, uh, do journaling or write down how you just little notes here and there may not be full journaling, but.
1: I did. It wasn't, I wouldn't say it was full journaling. I would say for me, I, I did a lot of, uh, picture like, uh, you know, almost like taking photos. So photo journaling for me okay. and I'm, I have those. So I think I'm going to do something with that, but that was helpful to me. Um, of every treatment, I have, you know, a photo, a photo journal of everything that I was going through at that time. So mm-hmm. when my hair started to come out after the second treatment, I have, you know, a photo journal of that, the uh, you know, shaving my head with my hairstylist, what we did, um, having um uh drains in, I took pictures of myself, pictures that would be probably horrific to, you know, to others, or they may be helpful to Uh, someone going through to know the little tricks I would do to make sure I would conceal the drains. I think the first time I went outside was to see Black Panther and people didn't know I went to the movies, but I had drains from surgery underneath my blouse. So it's just, I, I did a lot of photo journaling and I have a blessing jar, which I always have had a blessing jar most of my life. And in my blessing jar, I always write, write little, um, Um, notes or what I'm thankful for and a blessing on these uh, little note cards that came with the jar. And now I'm just made up the cards because I've used all those, but I write, I write those down and I wrote a lot of that during that time.
0: Oh, that's neat to have Mm -hmm. a blessing jar. So, Mm -hmm. and these are, these are tips that can help you cope. So with blessing jars, with writing or picture journaling, um, support groups, you know, anything that, that can definitely help you throughout your journey. That's really important. I noticed that you mentioned that you were still working 16 rounds of chemo and you're still working, still focused on, okay, I got to do this and set this up. Oh my goodness. See, that's what we're talking about. Women, we're, we're so strong minded. <laughs> we really are. And it's like we put on capes every day. Every day we put on capes and we have to remind ourselves we got to take care of ourselves. We really do.
1: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't necessarily advise it, but here's what I say. Do whatever works for you. For me, that worked because it allowed me to have that focus time. I was, yeah. you know, a lot of times you can be here because, of course, my husband uh works. And so the days that he needed to stay, he stayed. But for the most part, I was really, you know, able to do it. Um Home, I would... um Actually, I was going to work and my, it was my director that said, you know, you know, you don't have to come in. I, I think you should just stay at home after you have your treatments. And maybe you come in on the week, the off week, because I was doing treatments every two weeks, every oh. other week. So on the off weeks, I would go into the office and then we worked out, a, you know, a, a process where I would stay home after I would have um, chemotherapy, because here's the thing. Because I I am who I am in my mind, I was doing a lot better than I, I was doing a lot worse than I thought I was doing. Right. So I thought I was really killing it. But when I was barely able to kind of move around and, you know, chemotherapy, because it takes your uh, immune system down and your hemoglobin so low, it makes you have difficulty breathing. Right. Mm -hmm. You can't walk long distances. And so it would take me a long time to give it. I thought I was killing it. I thought I was just doing it, but it would take me a long time. And then doing my makeup, I noticed a couple of times I was like, well, you didn't blend that quite well. Or my assistant would say, "Okay, are you feeling well? So just things that I'm thinking I don't I don't see, but others were seeing. you know, you really probably need to stay at home just because, you know, uh, most people don't realize when your, your uh, immune system is taken down to zero, which is chemo, what is chemo is doing is that it also, for me, it created a cough. Mm. I don't know if that happened to you, but I had a, a constant slight cough all of the time and constant nasal drainage because it's almost like you it's like a, the immune system of a, of a, of a baby, right? Mm. So constant right. nasal drainage, a cough and um, shortness of breath. Uh, in trying to walk distances towards the end there, you know, when you've had so many chemo treatments. So we muscle through, but don't be ashamed. Don't be that superwoman where you say, um, I just got to do it. Um, but do do your process, what works for you. My journey is, was, is my journey. Your journey is your journey. We can share things that will help us and to empower and support one another. But sure. I would not dare tell you how to do something, mm-hmm. how this should work for you, what you will. If you ask me how I approach something, I will be happy to share it. But I think every woman's journey is her own journey. Um, I found great um, so you know kind of solitude in being able to pray my way through. I praised a lot of the time. And, and I always tried to think of what was happening. That was good. And I knew, I will tell you the moment I knew I could make it was, and I talked to my oncologist about this on my last visit. And that was because I'm a nurse, I know what goes on that chart. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> when I walked into the, uh, my first, uh, chemotherapy session and I saw you know, they write the nurses, they write on the uh, the chart and the doctor has written the order and there is a reason uh, for the chemotherapy. Like it'll say why, you know, I don't know if it says reason or, you know, purpose or whatever. But I saw on my chart when my doctor ordered chemotherapy for me, he wrote the reason cure, C-U-R-E. When I tell you I could pass the co- collection plate right now. Oh when I saw goodness. he wrote the reason for my chemotherapy was cure and being a nurse, I knew that it could have said to make comfortable, mm-hmm. palliative, mm-hmm. um, you know, to, you know, slow growth. It could have said a lot of different things. But when he wrote for me cure, sure. I was like, oh, you can't tell me nothing now. Let's get it. Let's let's get it yes. popping in here. <laughs> I'm, I'm on it. Right. let's. I'm on it because oh, yeah. those things make a difference. And he and I spoke about that. And he said, you know, Faith, that is something that thank you for telling me that because I stopped writing um, uh, custodial or palliative or other things on there. Um, I, he said, I use words now like slow growth or, uh, you know, something that would give the, the patient more uh, empowerment. Because as soon as they see something that may not mean they're going to survive this, they right. your body and your mind turns into, I'm not going to survive this. Right, right. You know, so that was very important to me. We said cure. I was like, that's all you gotta say. Say less. Let's move we'll on. Say less. We're gonna name it and claim it. We'll and name it, it. Move on. and And it. Yes, that's what we did.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. So I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time because I know, know we're I, good. I know we get to we get to talking, but <laughs> what is what is a word? What is one word that you would use to describe yourself? Looking back over everything, what is one word that you say, this is me. I would say the one word for my cancer journey
1: was grateful probably was is my biggest uh, descriptor um, and appraiser, because for me, that was really what I focused on. And I have a good friend. Her name is Cynthia. She's not on Facebook, um, but uh, her name is Cynthia. And she was telling me she told me. Focused on focus on the healer and not the disease. She told me that very early on. She said, focus on the healer and not the situation. And I try, I did that. I tried to do that. One of the things I know some people will ask, why did this happen to me? And some of my family members said, Well, why is this happening to you? I never asked that. I never asked that because the health professional in me said that one in eight women, I taught this. So I know this one in eight women will get breast cancer in her lifetime. So I never said, why, why me? I'm that one in eight. It was, you know, so that part didn't really shake me. I didn't say why me? I know that God doesn't give you what you can't carry. I was selected to do this. And so I said, I'm going to just praise my way through it if you were not a praiser, if you were not a person that was going to be positive, I really didn't let you into the concentric circle. You mm-hmm. had to, you could be there for me, but I didn't want a lot of crying in and a lot of emotion that was that you were not believing for this to be a healing and a cure for me. So I kind of kept that at a distance uh, because I was grateful that he wrote. Cure on my chart. Your chart, that's it. So every day I tried to operate from a moment of gratitude. That does not mean that I did not have the days where I was so weak that my husband had to come and get me out of the shower because the hot water, you know, just was overwhelming in terms of steam and my immune system was so low. I was so weak. My, you know, uh, hem- hemoglobin and things were down to. Um, you know below seven and they won't give you chemo. So I was working on trying to eat steaks and do all these kinds of things that I don't normally do to raise those numbers but um, it was there was never a time where I was thinking, why is this happening me happening to me? It was more like, okay, this has happened to me and I've got to fight my way out of it And I'm, I'm grateful sure. that I have the opportunity to fight and I have the access, the resources and the people to support me in the fight. So gratitude was really, really um, good because I lost one of my first cousins who was also my soror to breast cancer. My, my dad's sister's daughter uh, oh, nice. at the age of 40, she died oh, of breast yeah. cancer. So, uh, and I have two other aunts who died of cancer on my dad's side. So for me, I knew that I was, in, I was blessed, you know, I was blessed to find it. I was blessed to, you know, for it to be found at an early stage. And so I was just grateful. I was grateful. Um, and I just had to keep going,
0: just keep going. I love that. I love that to keep going. Two things. And I heard you mention it as far as being active, Mm -hmm. I have to keep moving regardless of what was going on just to to keep walking or even just to do a little bit of exercise. Um, but also your lifestyle change. Did you feel like you have to change uh, what you were eating or drinking or anything of that nature? And I know food and exercise kind of go hand in hand, but. Mm -hmm. Yes, well,
1: one of the things that I can say that was beneficial to me, and it's kind of just like Mm -hmm. if a woman gets pregnant or something, if you're already a fit person and you're in pretty good shape, When you have to go through something like this for me and based on what my oncologist told me, it makes your treatment, you know, somewhat better in terms of just kind of how you do. Um, I maybe didn't experience some things that I might have experienced had I not been in good shape. So I was actually um, a runner. Uh, I was uh, physically I've just always been very athletic um, throughout my lifetime. And a pretty fairly decent eater. I do like sweets, but um, I think that um, that's in moderation. And so what I will say is that my doctor always recommends more of a Mediterranean type diet. I will share that that is probably the missing component. And I'm looking forward to working in that space when I retire uh, in the next year. Uh, And that is nutrition and cancer. Uh, because that was the one person that did not come and talk to me on that first day one. They had no nutritionist for um, cancer patient that cancer, uh, you know, people who were going through treatment at that time. My understanding is now my cancer center does have a nutritionist because I kept Mm -hmm. putting that on every one of my evaluations. I would have loved to have talked to a nutritionist Mm -hmm. after, you know, my cancer or while I was, you know, when I was finished with my treatment. Um, my ALAC uh, active living after cancer program did teach a lot about nutrition and it was a fitness program, Vernilia. So I actually went into that. Uh, and that was a 12 week program through MD Anderson cancer center that I signed up for. It was free. It did not cost me anything. And it's for any type of cancer, not just breast cancer. You just have to be a cancer survivor. Uh, and it's called active living after cancer. And I am now on their advisory board. And uh, it was very, uh, yeah, it was very good. I went on Saturday mornings. They do have them through the week, but I, it worked better for my schedule uh, after that time to um, to go on um, Saturday mornings. And I would go on Saturday mornings. You do activity and you learn a lot about how you live actively after cancer. Um, they taught us about lymphedema, you know, what can increase your chances. I was blessed. I only had a little, and I still have a little um, uh, minor swelling, not very much where you would not notice, but I, of course, know because it's my body uh, on my left side, which is where my cancer was. But there were some opportunities for me to be fit, and I took advantage of those just because that's just my normal um, strategy, you know, my normal way of living. So If you have something like that in your locale or an opportunity to do that, I know that there are some ALAC online as well, Active Living After Cancer online. Uh, Again, it's a free opportunity for you to um, do a 12-week course with physical activity, uh, education, nutrition education, and just, you know, stress, you know, mental health, everything that you would want to know so that you can maintain an active
0: life after cancer. Definitely. Oh, so yeah. that's another resource. I'm going to try to write all these down. And yes. In- and I,
1: I'm happy to send that. I think American cancer, I, mo- I made a list of resources, but I just think that if you can get, um, you know, you know, we, you both, we both know at, uh, American cancer society is great mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of a go-to for evidence-based information is really good, but you know, you know Whatever your locale is, Google it. If you're not in a big city, but you have access to the internet, um, look at the um, MD Anderson Cancer Center. Look at some of their programs. It's called ALAC. It's an acronym, Active Living After Cancer, A-L-A-C. Um, they run different cohorts. There are great leaders in that. And I found that to be very, very helpful and beneficial to me after my cancer, um, you know, throughout my cancer journey.
0: Okay. Okay. Definitely. And I'm in, I'm in the process of creating, um, well, I'm just going to say a list of resources because there's so many. Um, and so I just think it's really, it'll be really useful for people to just have it where it's easily accessible. So that's in the work. So definitely thank you for, for sharing those resources. And, once again, I, I know it's, it's been a lot of information, but I hope that for anyone that's listening or if you know someone that's been recently diagnosed with breast cancer or even they're not even taking the time to go and do their mammograms because, you know, National Mammogram Day was the 16th, I believe. Mm-hmm. And so make sure that you go and get your mammograms done. There are there are. Um, nonprofit organizations out there that will pay for you to go and get your mammograms done. So there are a lot of resources that can help you. Um, and we got to make sure that we're starting to do self-advocacy, taking care of ourselves. Um, early detection is the key. That's what she said. And there's a lot of yes, information it in here. My <laughs> yes, it it saved, saved my life. Yes, it definitely saved your life and it saved my life as well. Definitely. So Dr. Faith, I appreciate you coming oh, on Share yeah. the too, Tuesdays. Well, thank you
1: so much. This has been great. I love to share this kind of tea.
0: <laughs> yes, a tea of knowledge. Yes, a tea yeah, of knowledge. Tea so of knowledge. I do appreciate you coming on. And remember, everyone, follow me on Share the Tea with V on all social media channels. I'm on all of them except for the snap of the chat. And remember to be intentional, be insightful, and definitely be impactful. Thank you again, Dr. Uh, dr faith foreman hayes blessings to you i will i'm i'm so excited for you reaching your five year journey and of course i'm gonna have to send you something big because you oh, know thank we're,
1: we're you <laughs> just continued <laughs> prayers that's it that's all you gotta send me
0: yeah but thank you yes. so
1: much and thanks for having me and letting me share a little bit of my story and a little bit of my journey because it's definitely not over but uh, i'm i'm in it to win it so thank you yeah. so much
0: You're welcome. You're welcome. All right, guys. Until then, thanks for following Share the Tea. See you next week. Bye-bye.